Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined most every week by my wonderful friends and colleagues, Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. Michael McCord, who has bronchitis, so he may be uh, stepping out every now and again. Michael, thank you for pushing through to help us get this podcast recorded, and say hey to the people if you can. I Yeah, just as we started at a good one of those good... Good bronchitis cough. Sorry about that, guys. I know some of you know what it's like. Good summer cold is always great. So um, I'm glad that glad to be here with you, though. And uh, we'll push through this together as we talk about identities today. So I think it's perfect time to have this conversation. And Lindsay, how are you doing? I am good. I am grateful that uh, you're the only one that came away from us all hanging out recently with the summer cold. So uh while sharing is caring, I'm glad you didn't share this one. Yes, Michael, I mean, you're very generous. Sometimes we want to be a team and be united and all uh, be one. And you this is share all things. those times. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Michael, thank you for uh, being generous, but selfish in this regard. And thankfully, digitally, we should be well protected from all your germs. And thanks for the intro, Michael. We are going to be talking about identity today. We'll be talking about identity, which can mean a wide variety of things. And most of us are familiar with like an identity crisis, which can happen. Uh, I don't know if that's really in the DSM. Uh, Is that something that's like clinically diagnosable identity crisis, Lindsay? No, the closest we have is uh, the DSM diagnosis of adjustment disorder. Which means that... Uh, that sounds like me. I mean, that sounds like being a human, right? That you are struggling to adjust to something that has changed in your life. Um, story of pretty much every day of adulthood is all of us navigating adjustment disorder. Exactly. So as we talk about identity, it's going to be helpful for us to define it a little bit and talk about how it's used in specifically our culture and society and historically. So we're going to go to our resident expert, Lindsay Geist. Lindsay Geist on the scene uh, to fill us in about identity. <laughs> Lindsay, what do we what do we need to know about identity and kind of how we're going to be talking about it and using that term today? I love that I get to serve as like the walking clinical dictionary pretty much for all of us all the time. Um, we all have our identities on this show. <laughs> true we all have our prescribed roles correct and um so identity is defined as the beliefs ideals or values that help shape or guide someone's behavior um so in other ways we can kind of define as someone's sense of self uh established by their characteristics affiliations social roles etc Um, So kind of how somebody sees themselves based on uh, their connections and their beliefs and um, their thoughts and values. So is it always internal, external, typically like you, your identity is self-regulated or is there a different understanding or the way that we see somebody else's identity, does there have to be some transaction to bring that into alignment? There, really talks. I mean, that's 
that is a hard question of whether it's like an internal thing or an external thing. Um, I would say that most of the time identity is sort of how you see yourself, but other people kind of prescribe identities onto us. So they okay. will give us labels and make assumptions about our identity that may or may not be accurate all the time. Uh, but I would say identity is, um, and maybe maybe it is external in the fact that the way that we, I might talk about the things that I value, um, that can make it clear who I might identify with um, sure. other people. Um, but most of it is an internal thing, but gets prescribed externally. Like people make assumptions about it. Right. And why does this identity, why is it not something that we just say, oh, it just is, it's no big deal. We should think about it. We should understand what it is. We should be able to name it and have some understanding of it. Why don't we all just go around in the world and just kind of live the way that we are and see how it goes. Like, is it important to understand and define and kind of think about our identity? Is it kind of inherent where like, you're gonna think about it anyway? I think it's inherent of thinking about it anyway. Um, kind of because we as human beings really like labels and categorization. And we've talked lots about this, that our brains think in categories and like to classify things. It um, it's really effective to do that because we can think faster when we can connect pieces. To, um, and so I think that it's probably inherent to us to be thinking about where do I fit? What do I affiliate with? Am I, um, and our identity. Uh, so we do this as children when we're really young. Um, Erickson's Eric Erickson, uh, think back to like childhood psychology, stages of development. The fifth stage of development is all about identity versus role confusion. It happens most often in generally ages 12 to 18. It's when we start saying like, who am I? What do I believe? And where do I fit in the world? Part of what helps us think through all of this is looking at ourselves compared to other people. Um, and so we do some of this comparison to other people, um, by just trying to figure out like, what about me? Um, so it, it's somewhat relational just for us to figure out even who I am. This seems very related to our conversation that folks can go and listen to about individuation. So it seems like individuation exactly. is part of the process to establish identity, but it is not identity within itself. Correct. You've you've named it exactly. Individuation is the process of finding a sense of self and distinction um, from others. So again, going back psychology-wise, Carl Jung said all of that about the story of, in, you know, this process of individuation, that is the process of, in essence, finding your identity. I would oh, say okay. that individuation, um, while finding your identity ages 12 to 18 um, is really strong, where I see individuation taking a unique turn 
is when people move out of their parents' house for the first time and they start having to ask, um, where do I still connect with them? And then what are some of my own thoughts and beliefs? So in some ways, it's probably like a phase two of identity exploration. Um, So actually understanding that you have a sense of self happens in the fifth stage of development, ages 12 to 18, probably making that determination in relation to other people happens more 18 plus. So that's the kind of observed psychological understanding of identity. Michael, from a faith-informed perspective, what do we learn in scripture about individual identity? Because we'll talk about kind of collective identity and culture and that kind of stuff uh, here in a little bit. But keeping it in that individual lens, what else and what angles does um, scripture teach us about identity and how it's formed and how we should think about it compared to just what we observe in the natural human experience? Well, I think it's not unlike our our natural experience about our own identity. I mean, we were born we're born into a family and into a community and as a child we take on that 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 clothing and those responsibilities and those uh viewpoints and and then as we grow and mature and we take on our own identity that individuation piece that you were just talking about that's a big component of of maturation and becoming an adult and assuming your identity um not that it's set clean, I should say. I mean, that's the, that's the one thing I would say, like listening to our conversation is none of this identity stuff is really clean because it's the, you, your body, your your person interacts with all these other people and, and you're really an accumulation of probably many different facets or parts of identities that that make you. So it's not just like, oh, I got my identity. This It's this. And you can write it in a, you know, in a small byline. Uh, it's somewhere so much more complicated than that. But Thinking about uh, about faith, I think that the same same thing holds true probably for most of us is that we're born into some some faith collective. You know, whether it's whether it's named, whether you're born into like a United Methodist family or you're or, or an evangelical Christian family, or um, you know, it could you could clearly identify with some faith tradition, but but uh, but then other are born into to an agnostic or a, a no real clear sense of uh, faith identity, but that itself is a form of faith. It's a form of uh, spirituality, a way of seeing the world and and all that that exists within it. So we're all born into some tradition and and most all of us right off the bat, just take on the tradition that we're given. And then as we as we grow, we begin to take on our own understanding of what our tradition really is and where where that meets. And so when you think about, um, our own sort of me- hallmarks, like pay attention to the transitions. That's that's a good place to sort of see how we experience um, identity in in our faith traditions. Uh, for for example, you know we're born, and then in some traditions, uh, you're given a Christian name. You're Chris, you know, you experience chrismation where they give you a Christian name. That sometimes that's tied with baptism. Sometimes it's tied with a uh, what what some call a dedication, where you dedicate the baby uh, to the to the church. Uh, but that's a big hallmark that here you, this is this is 
This You are part of our community now, and we're giving you a name for this community. Uh, and then and then for others, there's uh, when you get older and sort of take it on yourself, then there's a moment of confirmation. Uh, in, some, in our tradition, it's confirmation. You're about 12 or 13, interestingly, right along where you you experience individual individuation as a as a psychologically as a human uh that also coincides with a spiritual um component as well and we, we do the confirmation or in other traditions uh baptism and that is the moment in which we identify taking on our understanding of our faith and our identity uh, sometimes in those moments you're also your name changes in the in the in the ancient practice of baptism um you you would be baptized and come out and be given a new name, uh, so your name actually changes. In our in our in our today, we we just name. We wouldn't change Lindsay's name when she gets baptized. We would just declare that <laughs> Lindsay is a Christian. There, we give this name. It's a signifying uh, of her um, faith and uh, trust in Christ. But in the old days, we would have actually given Lindsay a new name. Let's, Lindsay is no longer Lindsay. She put her Lindsay ways behind her. She is now Mary. And, you know, that's, that's which is fascinating to think about. But but you see that in scripture, when you think about people like Paul, uh, Paul is named when he has that experience, uh, his life is transformed. He, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. Um, and then uh, Simon, too, is given the name Peter, uh, the rock, uh, who sort of builds the church. And so you see these, you see these glimpses that people that, that faith in itself is just like the rest of life. It's, we, we, it's a journey of identity as we take up more experiences and we build more relationships, the way we see the world, the way we see our creator changes. And we try to find milestones where we get to recognize what God has done in our life and, and what God is doing in our life and who we are today compared to who we were to sort of just recognize our growth as, as people. Okay, so then turning to your experience, Lindsay and Michael, I wonder if you could reflect on your story and journey. Are there moments in your life that you became more aware of identity and felt like it was established or changed? Or there's these, you, we talk about this stage that you mentioned, Lindsay, like uh, this identity versus role confirmation. Um, I wonder what mm -hmm. that has looked like in your life, in your journey, and how you kind of recognize at some point that that's what that was like that's what was happening so I was talking um I was talking with my mom the other day about uh an interesting story about identity shift and how we view other people's identities and so we were reminiscing on in college I uh had roommates and um, was moving into a townhouse and had said I might want to have um, my one roommate was going to go study abroad in the fall and she wasn't going to be there and I was like okay can I just wait and rent this place and I'll live by myself for the first semester and then I'll wait for my roommate to come back from studying abroad and um as a family, we made a decision that, uh, no, I would get another roommate in the meantime, and then the three of us would live together uh, when my roommate came back from being abroad. And what's interesting is that my mom and I were talking, and she said, 
I hadn't realized some of your inner identity or who you were had changed. Your high school self, I was worried about being you being alone in college, like that semester living alone. And she goes, if I realized the person that you are now and how you operate and all these things and who you had grown into in college, she's like, I would have said yes right away, um, knowing that you would have been fine living alone. And it wasn't going to, you weren't going to socially isolate, nothing like that. But she said, I only had your previous identity in my mind and hadn't seen the shift happen. Wow. Um, And so it's a story that we talk about lots because um, several times that I moved growing up, we saw kind of like major shifts in my own self-confidence, sense of self, identity in each place we went. Um, There were places where were not a good fit for me. And we kind of saw me withdraw into myself. And then other places where I was like fun and fancy free. Um, (laughs) We moved to North Carolina. And in the middle of first grade, we moved into this house. And apparently on the first day when the moving van was there, I they got my bike off the moving van. And I said, Can I ride around the circle, the neighborhood? And my parents looked at each other. And they were like, Who is this kid? that always wants to stay close to home. And the very first day she felt safe enough and comfortable here that mm. she wanted to immediately ride around the neighborhood. Um, so it's interesting to see how our environments can really shape how our confidence and how we see ourselves and where we feel like we fit and all of this. So most of my stories, um, I think part of it is that I've been hanging out with my family recently and we've been talking about some of these things. And so these stories are at the front of my mind, um, processing through some of these shifts in identity. And maybe they happened faster within me and were observed differently outwardly. I'm not quite positive. You know, we can't go back to my seven-year-old brain. Um, But they're interesting frames of reference to think about how my identity was perceived versus actual or when it shifted in actual circumstances. Yeah, that goes so much to what you said, Michael. Pay attention to the transitions. I thought that was a very, I was like, oh, oh, pay attention to the transitions. Because it's like a fishing hole, right? You have to know where to look to find kind of what you're looking for. And it seems like identity can be this kind of murky, glassy surface that we can't always see through. But then there's moments where we feel it before we see it, right? Like you you feel that fish bite. I don't know why I'm locked in on this fish analogy. Maybe it's because fish will eventually be food and it has to be food analogies for me. Uh, and so... <laughs> Uh, there, <laughs> moment of clarity see through. And so I loved what you said. It does seem like that is present in those transitions in life. Michael, what was that journey or, or a moment for you where it kind of started to become more clear? Well, I think uh, I was, I was laughing about this, the, not laughing. Like I, I was, I was thinking about this the other day in, in light of my, my daughter's own, sort of coming of age she's she's 12 and she reminded me that she's almost 13 um and just sort of the trying on of identities that happens 
And mm-hmm. I think that's what's really fun. I was thinking about, you know, just, just to comment on what Lindsay said, why I love working with college students is because that's really where this stuff happens. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it really did happen when you were 12, like generations ago because of, you know, delayed adolescence that there's not the same kind of, there's a bigger band of age where you get to try on identities until you yeah. sort of have to choose, you know, can, can you start to really choose and identify with your, your, um, your most prominent facets of yourself. Um, but that like 12 year old, like that, that middle school kid, especially, cause I feel like elementary school, a lot of ways you, you are an embodiment of your family and you're, you're just mm-hmm. sort of, you're modeling your parents or your, uh, or whoever you're, who's ever caring for you in that moment. And in middle school, then you get these friend groups and you get kind of stuck into a friend group for lots of different reasons. And you try on that friend group for a little bit. You know, I, I think I've tried on uh, some, you know, country music kind of friend groups. I remember my brother, like he went all in with like my younger brother with like belt buckles and hats and boots. And I'm like, oh, that's just weird. Like, that's not you. Uh and, uh, my my daughter's like all her her aesthetic is all over the place you could just see her like I don't know am I like a preppy athletic girl am I am I a grunge like super comfortable like it you know just like you kind of keep trying to figure out what 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 do I feel most comfortable in what skin do I feel most comfortable in and so much of that mm-hmm. is based on your friend group you know and then I, what I can remember, some of the most vivid moments was realizing when my friend group didn't fit me anymore and like how hard oh, that was yeah. to like let go of a friend group to embrace a new friend group, especially that transition. I think middle school to high school is like one of those big moments. And then the other really big one is from high school to college when you sort of separate from your community and you end up in a different, you may end up in a completely different part of the country than your friend group did. And you you realize that the world has changed for you but not for them and 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 so how you hold those relationships uh well together and knowing that you're different people than you were when you started um those are some really fun parts um to to sort of experience and that's really kind of where this idea for this this episode came from was just that the confluence of identities that that we've all sort of been up against um, over the last several years, especially, it feels like even us as adults, um, who I say that loose, that term loosely, but at least for two of us in the room, um, <laughs> that, that, sorry, Lindsay, <laughs> resident child here, you, that's uh, right, that's, Michael yep, and that's I, me. the mature adults, <laughs> that's right, Lindsay, who very we just mature, <laughs> yeah, but even those of us who have pretty seasoned, like we're pretty far into who we, think we probably are and who we assess god like you going through the pandemic and people's like you're all of a sudden you're like wow i had no idea you thought that way mm-hmm. or or i maybe i had no idea i was so stringent in in one way you know like you we started button up against um who we are and who we think other people are and how that relationship has existed and you start to wonder what what do i really believe and who am i really because now I feel like all of my anchors are somehow uh, uprooted from my life. Um, and and in those moments, I wonder, like, did our identities change? Or did we actually think about that part of our identity for the first time? Um, and did we 
did other people change or did we perceive them to be more like us? And then we found out the information that they weren't. Mm. Um, and, and that, that was really fascinating for me um, during the past few elections and also during the pandemic. Um, and uh, it, it's been fascinating talking to people that I realized that I made really big assumptions about that. I was like, Oh, we are alike and we have a shared identity. And then they express something and I go, Oh, that part of our identity is not shared. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, then it I also didn't realize asked, how many scientists we had. That's what really blew <laughs> yeah. me away. Like I just, like I've always identified myself as somewhat a scientific minded person. And then all of a sudden these people who I thought weren't part of my scientific mindedness are all of a sudden they're scientists. I'm a bit of a scientist myself, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Which is perfect. Uh, I think think for me, I, I remember very distinctly a moment where I was at summer camp and it was the first time I'd ever been to summer camp by myself. I'd always gone the same week with at least like mm-hmm. one friend. And it was, I think, eighth grade going into ninth grade, right? So that oh, rising that's already tough year. Yeah. Summer. And I remember going to camp and just having this distinct moment about, like, okay, I'm not here with my friends. No one knows me. I could, I could kind of try on a lot of different identities here. Um, and I felt, kind of some space and latitude uh, because you can kind of be how you want to be and there wasn't somebody from my past who was going to be like what are you talking about you don't like this this or this and maybe it's part of parts of myself that I wanted to be more prominent but I was kind of put into a box by some of that past that can happen right mm-hmm. that you, you have a role in a group of people and once you kind of have that role, it's somewhat challenging to break out of that because people in our brains quickly label and sort things like you talked about, Lindsay, so that we can think more efficiently and, and move on and, and get on to other things in our life. And I remember just emulating different types of people that I had met at different points to see how that fit me if I was going to be like this or what if I'm what if I was like I had a humor that was like this or what if I was serious like this right Uh, and it was a very distinct formative kind of week for me especially going into high school because uh, what I ended up with was just a lot of confidence Uh, and uh, I think I always have a you know I you know me I have a a lot of confidence (laughs) uh, in in a lot of things in the best way possible Yeah, like a golden retriever puppy who doesn't know that they're barreling towards an interstate. (laughs) And, uh, and so for, for me, that was, that was really impactful because I think giving myself the space and the ability to choose reinforced what I felt was authentic Mm -hmm. and then also really helped me to understand what I wanted. Because yeah. I felt like I could, I could, I did have the ability to slowly change and shift 
who I was or how I acted more in alignment with how I felt than from when I was like nine or 10, um, which I guess is the, uh, when I went from the fourth stage of development and started exploring the fifth stage of development, if I'm going to use our, <laughs> I don't know what the fourth stage of development is. Uh, so I really just took a shot there, but I figured that's the one that comes before five. So maybe there was, <laughs> Lindsay is oh losing goodness. it because she's like, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just no. trying to participate. Okay. He's putting on his <laughs> clinician hat. Job. He's trying on that. I'm a clinician identity. Yeah, I'm a bit of a clinician myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh but my goodness. It's perfect. Okay, so let's transition a little bit to well, some I, I, I think I, I wanted to follow up on that. For me, the similar moment was in my I could vividly remember this moment in college when I'm playing volleyball at a freshman orientation events, you know, beach sand volleyball and I'm serving and I'm thinking to myself, this big sigh of relief, like I could let go of all the identities that I had in high school, which really had been sort of put on me. They were things that were put on me that I, because, because I had good grades, I was a, I was a nerd. And then because I was in that group, like there were certain things about me that I, I wasn't ever going to be able to do, but because I also played, you know, football, um, and was on the varsity team. And I also had, I had just all these weird identities that none of them really matched. Um, and then because I had picked them up, I sort of assumed these roles and probably the role I assumed the most was being, was being smart and being sort of not popular. Uh, even though, you know, I had, had lots of great relationships in lots of different places the, 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 the storyline I was telling myself on the inside was that I wasn't, and that I didn't have a lot of friends and I wanted to be different when I was in college. And I could just remember like, there was this, this moment where I just, I was serving the ball and I reached back and like, as I was coming up and I hit the ball and I was like, I am free of all those. And I get to figure out who I really want to be. And it was just this really kind of invigorating moment for me to claim myself. And, you know, that's, Ultimately, what my four years of college was about was figuring out what that meant to actually claim myself and and who I am today. Um, but it started at that moment, and that, that again, mining the transitions in life. You you see, Evans from from middle school to high school, mine from high school to to college, and then Lindsay. What do you do? You, what do you remember the most? as a pivotal transition moment for I mean, yourself. My pivotal transmission transition was really. Um, high school to college. Um, I mean, I chose to go to college out of state in the city. I mean, I went to college in, in Dallas, Texas. Um, so left everybody from high school, knew not one person there. I guess I knew one person vaguely there, um, that was older than me. Um, and really got to have like a totally fresh start of like exploring who I was. And it, I mean, I really, I think that's where I grew in most of my confidence is that it's like, okay, nobody else could say who I am or what fits for me. I get to test it out. I get to figure out the boundaries and figure out what works for me. Um, and so it, it was a really impactful season of my life. Um, it's also, uh, the time that I answered my call to ministry. Um, 
which is also an I, I was sitting here hearing you tell stories and thinking about how that was an interesting season of identity. Um that is not what I ever pictured myself doing or had thought about. And so it both felt natural to like start considering that identity, but also felt so unnatural at the same time of like, well, that doesn't fit my paradigm of how I thought life was going to go. Um, so then there was some identity wrestling probably of like, how can something feel right but my brain has a hard time wrapping itself around that new identity. Um, and uh, then also just kind of how other people perceive us and our identity. I don't feel like any part of me changed um, like at the core of me when I started going to seminary, when I got ordained, any of this really impactful moments, but at the deep core of me, like, I do not think that all of a sudden one day I woke up and was a different person. But it's fascinating when you receive a label or a title or something, how other people's view of your identity changes. Mm. Oh, um, that's so true. And I think that I've had to do a lot of wrestling over the years of what do I do when I don't feel any different? Um, and then the older I've gotten, the more that I think... I've started having to ask my question. I don't want to be different, but maybe I am more different with that label or identity than I originally thought. That's that's exactly the types of challenge that I think we're ready to kind of start talking about. Because if we can transition a little bit to kind of some stuff that's actionable, I think there's some common challenges and experiences that we're all going to encounter in life. And we kind of have to know how to, one, make sense of it, and then two, what we can do about it. So I, I think that would be where I would love for us to start discussing is what do we do when not necessarily an identity crisis, but these are all crises of identity situations that we're going to find ourselves in. So maybe we should identity crisis. So what do we do when we feel like we've either lost that feeling of identity or who we are doesn't match who we were and how we navigate that transition? Just an easy softball. Well, I was kind of curious. One of the I don't know if we can go back and pause just for a second to go to this, how people's perception of your identity, like, like I, I'm just thinking about the word pastor uh, and the the profession and the, but, but the title that you carry with that um, and I carry as well, which is, has changed the way people perceive me. And, and it's interesting the way people perceive me now versus you know in the early 2000s when i was also had the same the same identity but there was but i was met with a different sense of regard uh and now now it's it's in many cases i feel like it's met with a sense of suspicion like you know am i what am i really what am i really trying to do here you know it's the altruism of being a pastor doesn't seem to exist as much anymore uh, and, and 
it's interesting to encounter those moments where people have a perception of you based on your title or based on um, your ethnicity, um, your location of origin. Those 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 are all driving uh, lots of opinions about. It. I mean, if you I'm a I'm a a white heterosexual male from the South who's Christian, that a lot of people will have a lot of assumptions about who I am and what comes with those identity markers. And I think that's a really interesting play. And that's where I feel like the, one of the crises that we're in the midst of is, is people taking, taking the chance to actually get to know people rather than assume things about them because of what they look like, where they came from, what groups they're part of, if that makes sense. Okay. So for me, one thing that I've heard the two of you talk about a couple of times that I think could be a good place to start is how when you meet strangers, you no longer lead with your occupation as a pastor. You've both spoken to how it changes the conversation and the tone and what people are willing to say or what they think of you. So you don't, that's not the leading edge of conversation. You'll talk about it later, but you have you each have these kind of unique phrases to uh, kind of, I don't want to say obscure because that has negative connotations, but to make sure that people don't go into, oh my gosh, I'm talking to a clergy person mode so that you can actually have like a, what you feel like is a more normal conversation with them. So I wonder if you guys could speak to that a little bit, what that experience is like for you personally and kind of how you help people to feel comfortable and authentic without having to put on the, oh, I'm talking to a, a prophet of God here, so I better watch my language. Well, I mean, that, but that's obvious when you're around Lindsay. It's like you just, you could see the aura. Oh my goodness. And so it's, if people just, you know, already know that. <laughs> okay, for, me, for everybody that listens to this shocking. all the time, I, I hope that y'all know very clearly uh, what our friendship looks like, uh, not on the podcast, based on this. Is them giving me a hard time all the time about, uh, you know, being, being seemingly good. perfect or ha yeah. having it more together, which is the identity that they like to give me and not yeah, the actual then, truthful identity. Because then we can believe wholeheartedly that you can hold everything together for all three of us. And it's a lot less work for us. But that sure. is probably the truth. Oh, my goodness. You just carry um, us around in some kind of emotional papoose to all the different major events in our lives. Uh, it It is interesting going like to that question that you asked a minute ago. Um, I have to walk an interesting tightrope when I realize that somebody's perception of my identity is different than I perceive myself. Um, like if they always see a pastor as a certain way um, and I'm like, well, I'm just Lindsay. Like this is just who I am and who I've always been. Um, I also have to recognize that like, no matter how much I just want to be Lindsay, I do come with resources that uh, by having my, um, having my master of divinity, having my ordination, title having you know all the connectional system and all that i come with power whether i want to acknowledge it or not and so i have to figure out how to navigate those conversations that somebody else's perception of me 
placement counts equally, and I have to take it into consideration, even though it's not how I identify myself. Uh -uh. And that's a really been a hard thing for me to navigate. Um, that even when I just want to kind of yell from the rooftops, the way you perceive me is not how I perceive myself. Um, to them, I represent something. And so their perception isn't like, I can't claim that it's wrong in some ways. I, I serve as like, have a different identity in that moment to them, uh, than I do to myself. Yeah, and and it's not it's not sorry I, to use your phrase. It's not good or bad. It just is. I mean, sometimes it is mm-hmm. good and sometimes it's bad in the perception. But like like I think about there are some people who have had very specific experiences with pastoral leaders that form their view of us, and it's not our fault, but it is real. And uh, I, I had a I had a young woman in in a ministry who was abused by a pastor and she had a really hard time coming back into a community of faith and, and kind of, you know, she's, she would sort of project some of her experiences onto me because I'm the pastor now for her. And so like, there's this, these elements of your past experiences that come out in those identities. Um, And so I think it's, you know, partly I, I obscure my identity um, it, it depends on the, my mood too, because some, sometimes you'll, sometimes being vulnerable is good and you just kind of, you put it out there and you, you, you give people space to, to talk to you about it. Sometimes it can go, you can, you learn things about your seatmate on the airplane that you don't want to know. And so you, so you just, you gotta have to be judicious about what you lead with because, and, and I'll say this, and, and, and I, I think it's important to say this, uh, pastor is not my only identity. And it's, it's probably mm-hmm. also not my leading identity. It's my, I would say, um, I had this professor in college, uh, my favorite professor, and he, he um, starts this, start this class every year that he taught it. He would start this Christian ethics class with having all the students write on the board, uh, the identities that they assume all of those, whether they're in a fraternity, they're an athlete, they're um, their gender, their ethnicity, their ide- sexual identity, all, all those things. You just kept pushing. All right, is that it? Are there more? And you just, by the end of that exercise, you just see the board covered with all these different labels and identities that people carry. And then, and then he, he wipes the center of the, the board out and, and kind of makes some room to say that you're a child of God who happens to be, and who, child of God who happens to be in Greek life, a child of God who happens to be Republican, a child, you know, the, the, all these, these different facets of ourselves are, they're, they're important facets and they're valuable, but they're not the lead identifier. And I think for me, I have to remind that my lead identifier, though, the, the, the word pastor and the title and the responsibility is important. Um, it's not, that's not defining of who I am. What's defining is that I'm a child of God who happens to be all these other things too. And and we carry them at different times and in different orders and in different ways, depending on where we are and what we're experiencing. Well, you, you mentioned that someone else's experience with a role can change perception. Um, one thing that you identified in the kind of our pre-show was that 
sometimes it's hard to know what to do when the definition of something changes that we used to identify with mm-hmm. over time, which which can happen culturally. What are some examples of that? And how do you navigate that? How have you seen it kind of change over your experience in life? And is that shocking? Is it is it is it tough? Because everybody's going to come in with kind of some loaded experiences on some of these things. But when you feel like what it used to be has left you. And now you have to cope with, do I need to redefine this? Should I just stick with it and then give a caveat every time that I'm a this, but it's I'm a this kind of this, not a that kind of this? That seems like it would be tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think especially, I mean, we've already alluded to the identity, the the political identities. I think if you if you look at what defined Republicans and Democrats. 20 years ago and try to hold that up to to what they are today and their expressions today, that there's a lot of discontinuity in those identities. And so I think a lot of people are trying to figure out where they fit. And when, you, and when you're only given sort of a binary set of identities to choose from, it becomes really, and, and they, they seem to get further and further apart from one another, then it, it feels really uh, disjointed and, and really hard you you feel like you've got to sacrifice a lot to hold on to that that former identity or the or you're like okay well you know of this group i'm i agree with like 10 of their 120 ideas and this other one i agree with seven so therefore i'm this i'm this identity but i only agree with like 10 percent of what they believe in and when you're stuck in a binary situation you feel like gosh i gotta choose something that sort of sort of fits the closest with me and then or or if you can't really decide you're like well my family's always been this so that means that I that's what I am even though I can't really make sense of what they say and what I believe um but those all those kinds of places where things don't fit uh in in the the people in those places have have changed and I think that I think you should say it, the valid the change is valid both as me like maybe I changed Maybe, maybe the maybe the Republicans have always been who they are, uh, though I think you 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 could argue that they've changed substantially over the time. Uh, we're t- Democrats, I don't mean to pick on one or the other. The, the political party um, has has always been what it is, and maybe it's my perception of things and the way that happens, the, the and my beliefs based on the fact that I'm, I'm married and I have children, and I've had these jobs and opportunities to travel the world, and so I see things differently than I did before. So both of those things are probably true at the same time. The, the political party has changed and I have also changed and the two things don't work anymore. And I'm trying to figure out now who am I really and who do I affiliate with? Yeah, that sounds like it takes a lot of energy. Are there some kind of turns of phrase or ways that you've seen yourself able to quickly differentiate like what it is? Like you understand that this is what this used to mean. And maybe this means a lot of different things for other people, but here's quickly how I want to convey to you that I am distinct from this definition, because that feels exhausting to me. I just create a new identification. Like I like to tell people I'm a progressive evangelical because then they don't know what to do with that. You know, (laughs) it's like assuming, you know, or it's, I think there's something in the DSM about, um, uh, it's not called multiple displays personality is dis- dissociative identity disorder right so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's maybe that's what i'm going to take on is like i'm just going to dissociate oh to this identity or create my own identity that's 
that's not quite how that works, but go for it. Try. Listen, I'm a clinician. I know the I know DSM. I can say it with authority. So whatever follows is integritous. Goodness gracious. I mean, I think for you, probably the the more interesting for us to talk about in this moment in our life is is our is our faith identity. I mean, I think I think that you know politics is is a little bit it's, it's a little bit more messy and or it's, it, again it's like binary. There's there's really two parties here in the U.S. and so it's a little more it's a little bit more difficult to have that conversation. I think than thinking about. Um, the role of faith in American life and how that's changed in your, the denominations have subsequently changed um, the, the, the emergence of different organizing bodies around religious groups, like, um, you know, the um, focus on the family and the evangelical subgroups and things like that. Those, those have certainly shaped how the world sees Christianity in America uh, but then in our very own denomination, the Methodists, we're in the middle of a, a really toxic and unfortunate divorce uh, where we're, where parts of us are separating from each other. And and so many of us are stuck in the middle with uncertainty about where to go and what to do and how to talk about those people who are no longer with us. Whichever side you're on, you're leaving some people behind. And that's that's a really hard thing to go through. And we're not alone in that. I think a lot of people in Christianity today are really trying to, and probably not just Christianity, but probably all forms of faith. It feels like there's this really tumultuous time about identifying what we really believe and who we share those values with. And I was talking to a group of people the other night that had almost always identified as United Methodist. And, um, said that they were having a really hard time trying to figure out uh, based on some of the back and forth that's happening in the middle of this process of disaffiliation and people leaving and um, that they said, do I want to identify with this group anymore? Um, And if I choose not to, kind of like what is leading me to no longer want to identify? Um, and the question is, do we no longer share core beliefs or has there been so much trauma that you don't want to affiliate or is some like have somebody have a misperception of you? Um, that's a really, that's a really confusing place to be in of something that has felt like it's fit well for so long. What do I do with my favorite pair of jeans that fit well for so long? and then. I can't tell if I gained weight or somebody shrunk them in the wash. Like, is it me or is it other people or what's kind of. You, you put those on, on a hanger in the closet and you're like, I'm going to wear those again. And you keep them there because someday you can wear them again. Well, I'm an American male, so it's never my fault. First of all, <laughs> I want to be oh, very clear. Goodness. Michael, okay, we hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Michael's laugh coughing. <laughs> Thing that I like to say is uh, my opinions are all right and I've never been wrong. <laughs> so uh, that's the framework that I like to approach the world. That feels healthy. Self-aware. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very healthy in my own mind. It's a it's a it's a house of cards, baby. <laughs> no. 
well, and I, it is. I mean, back to you, Lindsay, I think that this idea of like what what's most difficult for me, and I feel like I feel like the child in the middle of this divorce is that there are there are facets of both Methodist, predominant Methodist groups that I really identify with. And what's really hard is to be in that place where where those two groups uh, really don't like each other. And it creates a lot of hostility in, in, and just, it makes, it makes my faith experience more, um, more painful when I can see the good in both sides. Uh, and I can also see the challenges in both sides because in the reality we're, we're, we're groups of people trying to organize ourselves around uh, different belief systems and trying to organize around a, a, some shared values. And those values are really hard they're really hard to to come around these days. Yeah, I think what we're talking about is what do we do when our communities start to change and how we navigate that transition and affiliation and identity and you know what is it what happens when it's not it doesn't seem like a good fit anymore which is which is really challenging. What what has that been like for the two of you being clergy and we have a very kind of pretty rigid clergy structure where you're itinerant and you commit to go where you're sent. Uh, and so you give up some individual liberty. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. Like, what are you saying? Not Lindsay. She's a deacon. She doesn't have to go where she's sent. She can find her own way. The Holy Spirit uh, takes me a few places here and there. That's right. Um, That's right. But I'm, yeah, rarely do I get a phone call to tell me where I'm going. But you're in a culture that exists. Yes. Yes, correct. Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt. I just was trying to make fun of Lindsay silently that she she doesn't have to get where she said. Make fun of me silently. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So, yeah. Among your peers and, and your colleagues, that's a those two things don't really match. Right. We've had this kind of kind of structure and method that existed and now it's being kind of upended what have been some of the challenges that you've had conversations about and maybe experienced yourself in navigating that where you have a lot of people that you really love and care about and you value relationships and peace with all those are two things that are important for both of you that you've expressed and so then you're stuck in this position where everybody wants you to take a side, I guess. Is that how it feels? And so you just feel kind of stuck? Where? Talk me through that. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's just like, it's like everything else in the world right now. There's people are highly suspicious of each other uh, in trying to uh, figure out who you really are and what you really believe, because no one really trusts that, you know, in some regards, probably it's, it's a reflection of a social media world where people can um, create an identity that people see, but not really know what they really believe. And I think in this this instance, as clergy people, we we work for a system, for an organization, a grouping of people, and that that has split. And so that means that we have to choose a side. Either, either you know, either we don't, we don't go or we do go like it's a choice, right? We have to do that. People really want to know and everybody's really suspicious. And if you try to walk in the middle and try to show um, 
some respect for both sides, then then you're just sort of uh, even more suspect to them about what you really believe in and choosing. I think what's really complicated, what fascinates me, and it's really complicated for a lot of my friends, is when they really mostly identify with one tradition, but the church that they are currently serving, with whom they love and don't want to leave, chooses a different path. And then they're faced Mm -hmm. with this reality of, do I leave the group that I'm most closely united with, don't want to to say united, but, but most closely connected with, and then give up this calling and this place and this community that I'm serving, or do I choose the path to, to go with the, the community that I'm serving, meaning that I have to give something else up? And so it's it just, you could see it's just really layered with so many emotions and uh, and not only emotions, but real practical, like heartbreaking uh, decisions that have to make, uprooting your family, not having a job and having to find something. Uh, those are really real things. Not being able to finish your work that you envisioned at a, in a particular community. Those are really painful, hard decisions that are being made every day right now. And it's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, what, in some ways, what happens when both labels feel partly true and partly not true? Make a new label. I mean, that sounds like a lot, that sounds complicated and a lot of work. (laughs) It is a lot of work because it requires discomfort. Um, discomfort to figure out, do I more closely align with one or the other that I want to be more connected with, or do I need to create a third space for myself? Um, and, and that requires a lot of work of how do you hold the third space create it, hold it, feel comfortable in it, even if no one joins you in that third space. Because we're creatures of connection and community. And so we, no matter how confident we are, it is hard for any of us for a long period of time to be in any space alone without connecting with somebody else. And a lot of times navigating the chasm that exists between kind of several different identities Um at some point, how long can we like swim in the rip current in that middle space without other people helping? Well, I think that's a really good point. Um, is really what needs to happen. I think maybe some of the first steps that need to happen are are rehumanizing people because this whole experience has been really dehumanizing. And, and 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 we spent a lot of time talking about the Methodist divide, but you can just just go through all the lists of things right now. Um, you know, abortion being a huge piece of American culture right now. Either it's it's either you are you are pro life or pro choice, uh, as if as if abortion was some easy decision that could be made about anything, right? And that mm-hmm. that that if you aren't involved in it at all, that you can somehow just easily decide what's the best, like these are immensely complex um, issues that they can't be navigated easily, but our society has said you either this or that. And there's not a lot of people sitting in the middle having conversations to each other. And so what happens then is we will, we lean the most this way. And so I have to choose one or the other. So therefore I am this, 
And then the next step is because I'm this, I have to demonize that. And then, and then you, you just get this, this wider and wider gap. And if no one is talking in the middle, then no, no healing can happen. No sense making, no, no understanding, no new way could evolve. The same is true in the, in the United Methodist church. If, if you choose to to leave and become part of the global Methodist church, the next logical step is to look back at where you were and say, that was awful. They're bad. If you're United Methodist and you choose to stay United Methodist, then you got to look to the GMC and say, they look what they've done. This is bad. You know, and so that demonization, that dehumanization is happening in the church. And if no one's in the middle talking with civility and kindness and humility and humanization, then we're just going to get further and further apart from each other. I think part of the way that we hold on to our identity or feel more secure in it is not. And so I think that's partly why the demonization happens is because instead of using it as a helpful tool of those clothes don't fit me, that style doesn't fit me, that style doesn't fit me, and then you get keep getting closer to who you are um, in kind of like a loving, helpful way. I think that it's kind of, um, it's like, no, I'm definitely not that thing. There is no way I could be that way. Um, instead of that, that feels a little itchy when I put that sweater on and doesn't feel quite right. It's like, how could anybody ever wear that sweater? It is so ugly. Mm-hmm. That's precisely that is that is exactly that it's your it's your own coping mechanism uh, to to defend the choice you've made or to in that choice may be a reaction to something you don't something that's that's hard that you can't handle. I think about perfect example is is homophobia. I know we're just in all the topics, but homophobia, mm. there's lots of research that shows that homophobic men in particular um have stronger romantic feelings or attractions to men than non-homophobic men and there's there's a lot of sort of evidence to think that part of this is um is that that homophobia is a reaction to to some of those feelings that you're trying to reject and so the best way to reject some of the feelings for whatever rationale if usually it's a societal um, religious kind of tradition that you're rejecting those attractions as you have to men, the best thing to do is to to really demonize people who are gay. It's a natural, it's just a way of protecting yourself and and where you're where you are in life. And so I, you can see that then it just it just those sorts of decisions permeate every facet of our lives is to demonize that thing which is maybe a little too close to who close to home. Uh, that I don't want to be, and so I got to hate them, um, and I got to talk about how bad they are in order to sort of defend my identity. Hmm. Michael's just grabbing lightning rods left and right on the podcast. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin over here. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, if we were to turn to application and practical, which we try to do as we wrap up. Uh, most episodes to create success and <laughs> not sometimes uh, when we find ourselves recognizing that 
maybe our identity is murkier than we thought or doesn't fit anymore or that we've changed or that we need to find our way back to identity. What are those practical tools, devices, things that we can do to help to establish or reestablish identity in itself? For me, the very first step is self-compassion. Practicing kindness to yourself. That it you didn't do anything wrong, that that sweater or identity doesn't feel like it fits anymore. Um, seasons and changes happen, and um, you know maybe it would be helpful to sit with a therapist and explore why it doesn't fit anymore. Um, but I also think compassion to just say it. We know it's sad and hard that it doesn't fit anymore. And this is a new season where we're going to explore uh, what might fit well and make you feel real confident in your skin. I, I think self-compassion is the best place to start because I do think we're, we, we, as much as we demonize the other in these like major cultural societal decisions and groupings, identities, we are doing the same thing internally. We're, we're, we are going after each other in our inside of our own minds. We're 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 at each other. We're at ourselves, I should say. And so I think self-compassion is a great place to start. And then this the the second place I think is is community conversations. It's really pulling people from different backgrounds together to have a conversation um a, a, about being in the middle, about not fully agreeing with everything one side says or the other to try to lower some of the um, the energy in the room that exists around these big issues uh, because as much as we want to say that community that your identity is part of it's it's you but it's also part of your community and so so building those conversations within your community I think would be a really helpful tool as well yeah I have found uh, storytelling and listening to other people's experience and journey to be really powerful in being able to explore and understand identity, both completely fictional and, and non-fictional. It gives and creates a space in my life that there's almost a permission that somebody else has been through it and that something has been has been different. And one of the best things about our modern society is the access to information that you have to other people's experiences and journeys and stories. It's, it's really easier than it's probably ever been in human history to, with a few simple keywords, find someone else's journey and story that they've, that they've shared and, and, and to engage with that. And then with people that we trust, people who have watched us change over time. And, and Lindsay, like you talked about, I thought your, your mom's, frank communication about, you know, this is, this is how your identity has been. And I'm now realizing that it has changed, right? That we have those people in our lives who've walked with us over time through that. Uh, what's really profound to me, one, that I'm realizing I would love to be that kind of friend and family member to the people in my life. Um, that was very inspiring for me to just take stock of identity and ask questions about who people are and who who God is kind of shaping them to be. I think that that's a 
really powerful role that we can play and and be kind of reflect that self-compassion that you talked about to the to the people in the spaces in our life and those things really really stuck out to me and then I think it's just a process like I, I think that we let this be just this like totally internal process and then once we've I think my temptation is just I'll announce it to the world once I have it all figured out but recognizing that that journey happens in community uh, and that I have to create on ramps to allow people to encourage and help me make sense of what that is in my life, uh, I think is is a challenge that I'm looking forward to exploring. I also think that it's we should recognize that it's normal to change. That besides being a child of God at the core of who we are, the rest of our identity is not one thing our entire lives that we have so many different expressions of our identity that we get to explore and find and connect with in different parts of our lives that it's instead of seeing identity as like find the one missing puzzle piece and then we've completed the puzzle for all of time how can we honor and celebrate like i think that it just requires moving into honoring and celebrating that no one's identity is locked down for all of time. And that we, the more we get exposed to of information, experiences, things like that, then um, the more we might learn new things about ourselves and about other people and what feels comfortable in our identity in that season. I appreciate both of those things. Evan, I really like the idea of story reading is one of those guest books and and stories that's mm-hmm. a really huge gift for us but traveling to like meeting being in new cultures outside of your own uh discovering friendships with people who who look and act and think very differently than you is uh, all of that just humanizes people and makes helps you make sense of of things and i think then it enlightens you enlightens you about your own self and all these different parts of you and helps you sort of put those together as one being rather than a desperate collection of pieces, which is probably ultimately where I think we, the crisis of identity really lands is that we're, we're having a really hard time assimilating all these different parts of me into one collective piece that I'm at peace with, uh, mm. as opposed to these warring factions of me that's just trying to get it right. And it, when that's the case, we become very critical. We critical of ourselves, critical of others. But if we can find a way to sort of assemble ourselves into to a, a, a being that is is loved by God and is called to love ourselves as much as we love others, then then that's sort of the healing balm, I think, that we get to have in our own lives that then pours out into the lives of those around us. Uh, because I think in the end, so many of us are really just scared that we're going to get caught, that we're going to someone's going to figure us out, that there's some warring part of us that's just wrong or broken or hurt or not right and when we feel that discomfort we we push it out towards others to try to make them feel the hurt that we're feeling inside of ourselves and so if we can assemble ourselves um into whole beings and then assemble a group of whole beings to be together then we we're onto something i think in making the world a better place absolutely well thank you lindsay and michael for your time and your friendship and your compassion and your reinforcement of my identity and helping me figure it out. I have really appreciated the two of you 
in my life uh, and in these um, very scary recorded conversations where we <laughs> open a lot of doors and get to be vulnerable with each other and uh, apparently the world. So uh, listener, we hope that you are well and that you're enjoying at this point our little summer series that we're doing. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And um, we pray that your uh, identity and the identity crises that you face in your life and the the people in your life are informed and empowered uh, by these conversations. And most of all, that uh, that God himself would be speaking to you and that you'd be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as, uh, as we all endure this journey together um, and really take advantage of the opportunities that we have. So thanks for listening. We hope you are well, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Michael. They both waved goodbye. <laughs> thanks, guys. Hopefully I'm uh, less coughing next time. And a little bit less, although I kind of like this deep voice, you know, it's like, I feel a little little more authoritative. No, yeah, you definitely are. I can tell. Mm -hmm. I'll reinforce that part of your identity. That's right. Uh, Till next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Bye.